tonight we're going to continue with sort of John 5 and I'm Sam tonight because Sam's a little bit crook. So Sam, if you're watching, rest up. But, and um, we're going to look at uh, predominantly at sort of John 5, 39 to roughly around about probably 47. Um, but before we sort of get into that, I just want to read you John 5, 32 through to 38 because it sort of sets the scene and in the NASB it says this what I've written down is four witnesses so there's the witness of John there's the witness of works there's the witness of the father and the witness of scripture so there's four testimonies that give witness to Christ what Christ has come to do and what he says and so it says this in John 5 uh, 32 there is another who testifies of me and I know that the testimony which he gives about me is true. It's fascinating. Jesus wasn't looking for man for his affirmation. He wasn't looking for man's approval of who he was. He knew that his father knew who he was. He knew who he was and he knew that him and the father were one. And so that's the only thing he was really concerned with. And it's really the only thing we're to be concerned with. You know, it's not really about what Chris said this morning, about what Chris says or what I say. It's really about what the Father says and us knowing what the Father says and being comfortable and confident in that reality because that's the thing that enables you to stay true to the course when things around you are bombarding you, whether it's trials and tribulations, stuff you go through, or whether it's someone else trying to come to you with what they think or their, their thoughts on what this is all about. And so this reality holds us firm. And what greater example do we have than the Son? And then it says, the witness of John. He says, you have, sent, uh, you have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. But the testimony which I receive is not from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was the lamp that was burning and was shining, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. Then there's the witness of works or the testimony of works. But the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John. For the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do, testify about me that the Father has sent me. And so you've got John who's bringing this testimony of the Christ that's coming. But John's message is a sent message from above because John was a sent one. And Jesus was a sent one and we are to be a sent people. So you can see the absolute divine order of what it is to be sent. Holy Spirit is sent. Christ is sent. The church is sent. So sent people carry a sent testimony from heaven to earth. And it comes with power. And it comes with power to rescue people out of the earth. That's why it's not something that you try to understand. It's something you have to receive first because it's not in the realms of earth. It's coming from the eternal, but it's coming through the church. And so you've got these physical works that testify. You've got John, what he brought. You've got these physical works that Jesus is doing that actually display God. Okay, so this is what you're seeing, this testimony of John, the testimony of works. Then there's the witness of the Father. And the Father who sent me, he has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. That's quite offensive to his audience right here. He's saying, you've got no clue who my Father is. That's very offensive to a Jewish people who thought they knew God. You do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe him whom he sent. 
once again, that's right in their face. He's confronting an operating system. He's confronting the ways of the world when he's saying all this stuff. And he says, I'm being sent from my father. But you don't have my word within you, so you don't recognize who I am. And then you've got this witness of scripture. You search the scriptures because you think that in them, the scriptures, you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me. So the scriptures testify about the eternal life, Christ, because Christ was the eternal life. And you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. So there was this, what we talked about this morning, there was an active opposition in the hearts of the Israelites, the Jews, the people that God came for, and that can be operating within us. And so when the prophecies go out, meaning they're just the proclamation of God's word, we can find ourselves in opposition to that if that enmity is still within us, just like it's within his people here. I do not receive glory from men, but I know you that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. Ouch. I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If anyone comes in his own name, you will receive him. That's interesting, isn't it? When man sends man, we receive man, but when God sends God, we don't. That's a little bit back to front. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would have believed me. For he wrote about me, but if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Now once again, this is an absolute confrontation of an apostolic confrontation between heaven and earth because we know in John 9 they believed they were disciples of Moses. So they actually say, we're disciples of Moses. He's going, no, you're not. Highly offensive to a people who fully believe they were disciples of Moses. And Jesus going, if you were of Moses, you'd be of me. If you knew the words of Moses, you'd know exactly what I'm saying now because Moses spoke of me. The fact that you don't know who I am and my words is the evidence that you are not of Moses. You can see why they killed him, eh? Because that to an Israelite, to a Jew, is the most offensive thing you could have said. Right. So these are Sam's words. He's very good, eh, boys, in his emails. Here we see the Pharisees searching the Scriptures in a desperate attempt to enter into life, and yet it is these very Scriptures that prophesy about the eternal life who is standing right in front of them. The Pharisees are a prophetic picture of a particular operating system. They illustrate what it means to try and know God through human learning as opposed to divine revelation of Christ in us. There should be lots to unpack here. <laughs> First question for us guys and everyone, you know, like we do, just feel free to throw out the questions. Why did Jesus not accept the testimony of man? Chris. Well, I think um, the short answer is that he knew what was in man. I mean, he already says that, you know, I don't accept testimony of man or I don't place my trust in man because I know what's in man. Um, and so, I mean, obviously he had a really great perspective on man's state, which is why he had come. 
actually. That's right. to I'm not going to take uh, evidence from the people that I've come to <laughs> crucify. <laughs> really, eh? Um, but look at the look at like Greg was saying. There's this apostolic confrontation going on where he's giving them every opportunity to recognise who he is. He's like, I'm actually not interested in the testimony of man, but for your own sake, I know you care about man. Because that's what, it, what he said, you know, he said, if someone comes in his own name, him you're going to receive. And so he goes, while I, I don't need a man to endorse me, you guys actually care about what people think. And here's this person who, John, you were willing to rejoice in his light for a time. You know, so they recognized that there was something on John. They still couldn't quite work it out, but they went with the flow when the flow was going well, right? And so he said, John testified of me. And you guys were listening to John for a little while or cared what he was thinking. And I mean, later on he says, um, they said he's casting out demons by Beelzebub, the prince of the demons. And he says, well, if I'm casting him out by the demons, your, your sons are casting out demons. Who are they casting him out by? Then therefore they shall be your judge. You know, so he, I just see a, a, I see love giving every opportunity to come into what is true, using every means, even though he doesn't place his trust in man and, and knows that the testimony of man is not what he needs. He's speaking this for their benefit, and it's it's like you were saying, and like we said this morning, Greg. You know that he he knows what he's received. He knows why he's there. And so in that regard, whether man is for him or not is actually irrelevant because he says, I'm about my father's business. I, I, I don't need John to tell me that I'm doing the right thing. I don't care what the Pharisees think, what the religious order thinks. I actually don't care what anyone thinks. I'm not here to serve what you think. I'm here for something that you need that you don't even know what it is. So how, when you're living from that reality... How could you place your trust in man? Because these, no, one, no one on the planet knew what he was about at that point. No one had seen it. The Spirit hadn't been poured out. John might have been the only one. So yeah, there wasn't really many opportunities for trust in man at that point. Yeah, and that's this whole thing, eh? fulfilling this brand new covenant. And so people of old saw and could see by faith into the future. And so, you know, they saw and they were praying for these times when the Christ would come and fulfill everything that the prophets had written about. But this fulfillment of this new, he says, it makes the, the old obsolete. So he fulfills everything. So when he turned up, it's a brand new reality. You know, no one's seen God up until this point, and you hear God is in the flesh right in front of everybody. But it's like, that's not God. You know, because they'd made God in their own image. And that's what we're told not to do because you can't see him. Don't make him in your own image. And in Deuteronomy, it lists don't make him the form of man, don't make him the form of animals, don't make him the form of stars. So, what do we do? It's what we do, you know, and so you see all these versions of God that people have, you know, it's horoscopes, that becomes God because we look at the stars and we create that as our God. We look at birds and some religions have animals as the things they worship and you see the very thing that God told us not to do in humanity, you know, because that's what we do. 
because that's why you don't trust man's testimony because <laughs> we're so back to front. We create our version of God through our own understanding. Um, thoughts, Nick? What jumps out to me there is you've got this testimony of John, you know, which was that he was to be a forerunner. He was to be a forerunner for Christ and prepare the way for Christ. And I was just, there's the verse in number 35, which says they were willing to bear with him his, the light that he bore for a season, you know, and then Christ comes and reveals himself, who is the, the light, and they weren't willing to bear him. And I was thinking, what's this about, Lord? You know, what, what, why were they willing to bear the testimony of John for a season? Well, it was because it fed into what was their operating system. They were the religious leaders of the day. You know, they wanted people to come into religion. And John was saying it was a baptism of repentance, you know, turn from sin. So the, the religious guys are all for that. That suits their, suits, you know, what they want. They want people to turn from sin. They want people to get into religious things, which is their way, the system of religion. So they could bear with him for a season, you know, but, what, but who couldn't bear with John? King Herod, because he was pointing out sin, and King Herod was in sin. So we will bear with something that fits our view of Christ, our view of Christianity, our view of what we want. You know? Which then can become our testimony, can't it? Yep. And so we start testifying of reality that may or may not be of him. But it, we form it to fit what we want. You know, and that's sort of what you can do within the scriptures. You know, because you actually let the scriptures, through your own understanding, you define what the scriptures are saying because it fits nicely into your box. Mm. I mean, the amount of Christians that I've met who try to justify themselves out of giving through using the scriptures, mm. it's unbelievable. <laughs> it's like because you're trying to fit your God into what you look like and, and you can create a God that looks and sounds like you. Yeah. That's right. You know, and that's what, let's be honest, that's what non-Christians do. You know, that's why God can't be real because no one wants to stand and be held to an account for how they've lived. So my God wouldn't do that. No, that's right, because your God is you. you. Your God looks exactly and sounds like you. <laughs> oh, that fits, that works well. So I'm not going to hold myself to an account so I can live. But the challenge is when we do that, that's when you know you're in serious trouble, you know. And so this testimony, like it says here, you know, like there is another who testifies of me and I know that the testimony which he gives about me is true. Mm, yeah. So the oneness that the Father and the Son carry mm. and then the oneness that the Holy Spirit then kept going mm. because he's speaking the same testimony yeah. of the Son. And so that's that reality that we're to come into, this true testimony, testifying of the work that the Father is doing in us so then when we speak we are speaking forth the word of the testimony so the testimony of Jesus is the spirit in which one speaks prophesies okay so once again just for the record prophecy is not just I see Paul three years time going to X every time you speak the word of God you are prophesying of the reality that's in God that is not yet in the reality of somebody else so that's what you're doing. You are prophesying from the work, the testimony that Jesus has done in you. So I testify of the love of God within me. So when I speak, I am prophesying of a love that you may not yet have received. 
I'm testifying the testimony of what Jesus has accomplished, which has done all things, correct? All things are finished, yes? Is that not the testimony of what he has done? So when you see and enter into the fullness of what He has done, because the Holy Spirit is revealing that in you and to you, you are prophesying the testimony of what He has already finished in the hope that someone hears that word, that word enters in, and now they've entered into a finished work because you've prophesied the testimony He's done in you, which creates the oneness because you're speaking from an unseen, finished realm. That's why... Faith is. Faith sees what's in the unseen. Okay? And so that's the beauty of this. So the testimony that you speak is to only speak what he has done in and through you. That's why Paul said in Romans 15, 18, I will not presume to speak of anything he has not done through me because it leads to obedience in the Gentiles. Outside of that, it's just you speaking. That's worthless. It might sound great, but it's got it's not the word. Yeah, and so no one needs what you think, feel, sense. What people need is the word. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to tell you what I know. If I don't know it, I will then say, look, I'm not sure about this. So then the weight of it isn't the weight of the word. So I'm framing it going, this is not the word, this is just what I'm thinking. But then if I go, now I'm going to tell you what I know. Boom. That's the weight of the word. And that's when you feel it in the room. Oh, that wasn't what he thought. That's what he knows. You might not know that, but that's what's coming out. Because the word is power. And the word, the testimony of what Jesus has done in a person creates life. But it also challenges the flesh. So when that word comes out, the sword comes out, it comes to cut, doesn't it? Every flesh that's operating. What does the word do? Living, active, sharper than a double-edged sword. It comes to penetrate and divide soul, spirit, bone, marrow. It comes to divide. Isn't that what Jesus came to do? He came to divide and find the people of the spirit and the people of the flesh. So when that comes out of us, the testimony, the testimony of Jesus of what he's doing through revelation upon revelation, and you speak, you're speaking the same word Jesus would speak, Holy Spirit would speak, Paul would speak, the Father would speak. You are one with them. This is what we've been invited to. It truly is earth-shattering and supernatural. You guys want to throw anything? What about, so say that, but again, you said, um, Paul said, I will not presume to speak of anything that Christ has not accomplished in me, and what was the, through me. And what was the last bit so on then that? It, so it's the reason why, so it leads to the obedience of the Gentiles. So that's the, that's the prof- prophecy right there, because he says that this which has been accomplished in me, which is what the testimony of Christ through me, results in Correct. what it is that he has foretold that is the life of this. So this work is resulting in that work because this is the testimony of Christ. Yeah. So he's already calling it what it is. Yeah. And if you've got ears to hear it, it will create a change in you. Yeah. See, so it doesn't necessarily mean that because you can go no, yeah, that's right. or you go yes. Mm. And so when Peter spoke, he goes from being this guy that was doubting you know, and denying that, and then he speaks, and what happens? The Bible says the word, the testimony that Joel that he was prophesying from, yeah. 
He speaks. It's not just words. It's the word coming out of him. It's yeah. living. It's sharp. It's got power. So all of a sudden, people who had ears to hear it, spiritual ears to hear it, yeah. it pierced. The Bible says it pierced their heart. What's the place of understanding? The heart. It's all supernatural. So you've got to imagine an invisible sword being thrusted into the heart, which stops the flesh living. Yeah. It's killing the flesh. And then they said, what do we now do? So the word produces action. They're not going, oh, I'll think about this for a minute. See, the innate response of the word is movement. You're moving in an obedience to what God says we're to do. Not because you're trying, because the word that's being spoken, the testimony is propelling you forward. That's amazing. See, that's when there's no trying in this. It's just the word performing on itself in you. Now you're able to do what it says you're to do. Now if you don't have that, you're always struggling, aren't you? Oh, this is what it goes like. Oh, I've got to get up and pray. Oh, I ought to give. I ought to serve. If you catch yourself using the words like ought to and should, guys, it's a legalistic spirit. Okay, so that's not a love spirit. Imagine saying that to your kids. Oh, Maddie. I've got to spend time with you this week. It's such a drag, man. It's so hard to be with. What is she hearing? Mm. Not love. Not love. It's like she's a pain. Mm. You know, she's boring. It's a real effort for dad to spend some time with his daughter. Mm. So if you're hearing that come out of you, you need to lay hold of it because that is a legalistic spirit. It's a flesh spirit. It's in you, but it's not who you're called to be. And you have to be able to separate the sin in you and you. Okay, you have to be able to separate those down and go, I have a seed of Christ in me. That's not that operating. That's the old man still living. Okay? So Romans says the spirit needs to kill the flesh, which means you then got to go ask God, help me <coughs> hear the word that's being testified to, because if I can hear that word, it's going to enter and crucify that flesh that's binding me and not enabling me to live. And you see that in Matthew, when Jesus says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. That's what that is. Okay? Can you pray with me for one hour? You know? And yet, what did his flesh say? I can go with you to your death. So there was plenty of strength in his flesh, which was all puffed up to try and say he could do something he could never do. Mm. And then when he's asked to pray, do the spiritual thing, he can't because he's weak in spirit. Even though his spirit wants to, he's not yet filled with the power of the spirit that he is after Acts. And now that same man is up there preaching. Oh, come on, here it comes. Like, what happened between there and there? Counting it all joy to be suffer for for Christ's sake, eh? Hey? Yeah. What a difference. Like you're like this one minute. Three times you're invited by the Messiah to enter into the greatest trial of his life and you're asleep. And you go from that to standing up in front of the Israelites and the Gentiles and preaching something that you would never be doing. Like what's the difference? It isn't just human effort and human strength, and it's not that that was a good day. You know, like he woke up and went, oh, it's a good day. The sun's shining. I feel good. I'm a morning person today. And away we go. No, that is a greater reality. He's got the testimony of Jesus Christ working within him to the measure that he's got it within him. He's still a man in process, like you said this morning. 
But he's got the word. He's got this reality, and it just comes out. Yeah. And that's this is um, we had a conversation about this after the morning service, where you know the the this reality is to be our abiding reality, not not something that we're passing through. So Peter and John, you read in Acts, they're on their way to the temple to do the you know the temple thing, right? This is how we roll. I'm on my way to church on Sunday morning. Someone's broken down in their car. Oh, not now. I've got a, you know, this. And what a, what a Peter and, was it Peter and John? Peter and John, you know, they, they see this guy on the side and they turn aside for that. You know, they're not so preoccupied in their religion that they haven't got eyes to see what's happening. Or even, even greater than that, they've got a reality in them that is affecting how they're living day to day. It's not, it's not a, we're putting this on because it's a good day, like you're saying. It's not a, we're all excited about this. They were on their way somewhere and something caused them to turn aside and a man's life was changed. And it wasn't, here, here let's try this. It was, what we have got, we can give because we've got so much of it, here's enough for you. And it was so much that the person that saw it received it and went, I, I know what that is. That's everything that I need because it was life in its purest form, right? Here you go. There's enough. Look, this is, we'll be late. Don't worry. <laughs> you know, carry on without us. You know, and, and when what happens, the walls of the temple have just been broken down and life is outside of the institution and, and not throwing any, you know, any accusations on that. More like the whole purpose is, that we would be the reality That's of right. this. Right. Because, I mean, you've probably heard it. How often was Christ doing miracles in temples? Mm. You know, not a lot when you think about it. Mm. This is his life. He's just living life. But his life is his father's business as opposed to what it is that I think is my father's business or I've been taught is my father's business. The life that is inside me is revealing my father's business, and I and I'm an ambassador and an example of it. It's just it's so different. What what did Peter and John say to the guy that was begging for alms? Because it's in their words that's the key. I give you what I have. Okay, so the guy's begging for money or food. And they go, silver and gold we don't have. What we have, we give you. You can't give what you don't have. Okay? So what do they have? Who do they have? Christ in them. Because they've transitioned from not having Christ in them yeah, to Christ in them. See? So this is after they've been filled in that upper room. So they're going from that to that. Now I can give you what I couldn't give you before the infilling. Well, it's the same for us. You can't give what you don't have. Now, what are they giving? Christ. Well, what did, what's that? Did Christ come? Like, like, how does that work? How does that all work? I don't know, but it did, and it does. And that's what you're saying. It's like that's not because... 
it was a Sunday morning or a Saturday morning. There was a guy. This is like this. This will be with you at the supermarket, at the garage, while you're sleeping, while you're in the toilet, while you're teaching your kids. This is a reality you carry with you your entire being, and it's getting more and more and more and more and more. So the challenge then is, when do I release the Christ in me? That's the next obstacle when you have this reality because you could run around like we've talked about and think now I've got to heal every single person who's begging outside of a building on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday and go, what I have, I don't have money. God, what I have, I give you. What I'm no, we're not saying that. But then you have to figure out with God through relationship of abiding when to release the manifold presence of God that's in you and go with God and then release the outcome to God. Okay, so it's dual, isn't it? There's a coming into this dimension more and more and more and more. And then there's how do I express this? Because this is my greatest challenge in speaking. It's like, mate, I've got a whole library to speak from. What book do you want to speak from today? You know, so I'm going, okay, how do I give this in a nugget size? Because like we've heard about, someone told me I was like a fire hydrant. (laughs) And it's like, open your mouth, well, here it comes. But what would it be like if everybody could handle the fire hydrant? That would be interesting, wouldn't it? So not, instead of coming down to the lowest common denominator, why don't we go up to the highest? What would that look like if everyone could handle three hours of the word being declared? Maybe it would look like Acts where only one guy fell asleep and they spoke throughout the entire night. And the only thing happened there that was wrong was he fell out of a window, not that he fell asleep. Because <laughs> he died. <laughs> so they had to stop the meeting for a minute, the word, go down, heal him, bring it back up, and then continue the meeting again. Because it wasn't a meeting about words, it was about the word being declared into the reality, and people couldn't get enough. And the thing is, you can't get enough when you're in this. Like, you'll have tonight, and you want to have it right at the same time right again. It's like, What? No, man, you just want more and more and more and more because it's like you're full, overflowing, and still hungry. Mm. Thoughts, right? There's a, there's a testimony, there's a witness to what is true. And Jesus was witnessing to what John the Baptist said, and that it was true the Holy Spirit is to do that for us you know as we're working and this, this is the whole thing with the pool at Bethsaida where Jesus went and healed the one mm. amongst many he's being led he's being guided mm. he knows what is the true work to be done um, yeah it's just that, that to there's to be no witness but that from the Spirit like Jesus could witness to John because he was of the Spirit you know and then we're given the Holy Spirit to allow us to know what is true. And not only to know what is true, but actually to decipher that and to turn that into a spiritual language that comes in and, and births life within us. You know, but this is why he was saying that the testimony of man means nothing. You know, unless that testimony of man is witnessed by the spirit within us that this is from God. You know? Can I check something on that? So um, I was re- reading um, 1 Corinthians 2 and it says... These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, 
for they are foolishness to him. Mm. Nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. And just going back to Christ talking to the Pharisees, mm. these guys have got zero capacity to hear yeah. what it is that he's saying. These are words of spirit and life like mm. Jesus himself said. And they're going, well, how do we know? And he's like, well, the fact that you don't know is the evidence of actually where you're at. Mm. Um, I think it's in John 7, he says, that if anyone desires to do my will or the Father's will, he will know the words that I'm speaking, whether they're from me or from God. So it's as simple as actually desiring to do what it is that the Father wants. And like I said this morning, we actually don't even have that capacity without the Father first instigating something in us. But from that position, when you hear the word spoken, we're called to recognise the word spoken, right? If, we, if, if our heart's position is that we would be desiring what it is that the Father desires, which is actually what this is all about, you know, um, you know, we talked about that a little bit this morning as well. You know, when you when you um, are abiding in me and my words are abiding in you, mm. you will ask what you want, and it's going to be given. But the the thing that, that I notice with that is there's a prerequisite mm. to prayer that's getting answered, and it's that you're not praying for the things that you want, it's mm. that you're abiding in the yeah. Father and His yeah. Word is abiding in you. Well, that's going to change what it is that you're asking for drastically, mm. because all of a sudden you really don't care so much about what it is that you want. Mm. You're looking through a completely different lens. And it doesn't even look like going around and praying for all the people that are sick, because that's not what the Father's necessarily leading you into as well. Yeah. It's spiritually discerned. What does that look like? Lazarus is dying. That's great. It's really sad and I care for my mm. friend, but that doesn't even that doesn't mean that I get up and go mm. because call me whatever you like. I'm not concerned about the testimony of man right now, mm. in fact That's ever, right. because of the reality that I'm in. I'm going when my father says to go because why am I here? In case you forgot, I'm here to do the will of my father. Mm. Yeah. How hard is that? So let, let's, let's play that <laughs> yeah, out. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so imagine one of you tonight come and you just got news that your parent is dying. What would be your first response? Would it be, guys, we all need to go to my place and lay hands on my mum or dad because they're dying? And how would you respond if we went, yeah, no, the timing's not right? Wow. Thoughts. Anyone can comment into that. Because this is what's happening here, yeah? The pressure of man mm. to do what man thinks should be done. Then when God goes, no, how can you be love? How can you truly care for me? You say you love me and care for me, and you're not going to come? That's right. Because I'm not on your time scale. I'm on my father's. And I've got to honor my father, not you. We would hope. 
<laughs> so think about think about the example that though Warren. So in the instance of Lazarus, I, I correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't even remember him saying that he was going to heal him. He's being asked by his disciples to go and pray for Lazarus before he died. You know, he's sick. It's really serious. We want you to go and pray. And that's the Christian thing, isn't it? Like you're saying, that someone's sick, well, we should be going and praying for them. Why wouldn't we? We're all about love. We care about people. God's into healing. He's our great physician. And Jesus isn't even saying, he doesn't even give them the clarity and go, actually, he's going to die, and in three days, I'm going to raise him. He just goes, awesome. This is why we're here. To the point that one of Lazarus's sisters comes up and goes, if you were here, my brother wouldn't have died. And I feel like we lose the emotion in the, in the context of that. But she's not expecting that Jesus is going to raise him from the dead until he says, even when he says that, she doesn't get it. He's like, didn't I tell you that if you believed that you would see the resurrection, you know, and she's like, yeah, but this is the resurrection stuff. This isn't, this is real. <laughs> you know, and he's like, oh, oh, woman, <laughs> you know, unbelieving human, whatever you want to call it, you know, and it's just, That's right. you know, yeah. and, and so this is the bit that I think trips us up and, I, and I'll, I'll just say something around what Greg questioned before. But we've got so, we have the benefit of hindsight in all of these That's situations, right. so we know right. how they worked yeah. out. And in all fairness, they just didn't, didn't have that. No. And so take that yep. and apply the situation to your own life and go, whatever it is that's in front of me, someone in the future is going to have hindsight for. But I don't have that like they didn't have that. Good. And, and I think that in all fairness, how do we approach the situation going into it without what it is that we've read because we, we so easily disconnect ourselves from the testimony because it's not, a, not affecting me. Yeah. It's not my story. I'm not the one whose brother just died. I'm detached from it. And I think that you know, as, we, as we read this and chew over it, you start to, you know, God, I, I feel like God's heart is that we would empathize with these people yeah. and go, yeah, this is my story going into it. Mm. How am I going to deal with this? Because the same gospel that was preached to them is preached to us. Mm, yeah. So I don't know how this situation is going to work out. And I, and I can't throw a, oh, no one, no one had emotions in those days or, or it all worked out for the best. Man, these people are feeling real things. They're hurting. You know, it's, it's, it's and, going on. And he says that because when he turns up, he sees the people weeping mm, he and he breaks, Jesus you know. Wept. But... It's this thing about we've got such an earthly Hollywood mindset on God and that everything must work out the way we think it should work out. And that's just not the gospel. Like, you're lucky if it does. Like, he was killed. Not a great day, do you know? And so if we have bought into this prosperity, and I don't mean finances, I mean everything going really, really well, and if it doesn't, something must be wrong with either me or God, it's a false gospel. That is a demonic gospel that is preached in the institution and people believe. And that's why it's like, I need to do something, or God's punishing me. This whole reality, and you need to be able to hold, and well, first you need the true gospel, and you need God for who God is, and trust, and even if it doesn't, God is still good, 
And God is still God. It's not, God's not based on whether he heals or not or whether I live or not. God is based on God. And that's the gospel we have to come into. Outside of that, you'll be messed up if you've got this prosperity thing because, man, I'll tell you right now, you're going to go through hell on earth and hell's coming on the earth. And this whole thing of protect us from COVID, mate, if that's your prayer, you're in trouble, you know? Because... The demonic is stronger than COVID and the demonic can turn up in your room tonight and say, hey, and the demonic can lie to you and do you know the God who's greater than the demonic who you're actually have something to say back to the demonic because you go, is that all you got? Let me give you what I've got in me. You know, so now you're Peter and James. What I have, I'll give back to you. And if you want to play this game, we can play it all night long. Mm. But I'm not losing sleep over you and I'm losing peace over you because greater is in me than what's coming and you're looking at me. Mm. This is the dimension that the church is to come into within herself because she's the one that is to carry the authority. She's the one that's to release the manifold wisdom of God. But it's all based on the true testimony of the work he's doing in us, not around us, not to us, in us. Yeah, I can testify to that. I've just reminds me of being in Wakefield Hospital, just gone through my second operation, or oh, third operation, but I was only supposed to have two, but one got messed up. And so I'm in Wakefield Hospital, and I've had chemo, I've had radio, I had these two operations, and I'm at the, you know, I was at death door physically at the stage when they had to come in and do the, the extra operation because there were blockages and stuff and all the rest of it. And I'm in the toilet, in Wakefield Hospital, and it, it was a blessing because I was at Wakefield Hospital, I had my own toilet, you know, I got bowel surgery and stuff, you know, you, want, you don't want to be sharing with three other men or something, you know, that have all had bowel surgery. So there was blessing and everything in that. <laughs> you know, you've got to see the blessing. But, um, but in that, I was, I was sitting on the toilet, and I couldn't go because I had bags for everything, you know. And I had multiple bags, I had you know, tubes coming out of me all over the place. I was dragging my drip around with me. You know, there was all sorts of drains in me to drain out the fluid from where they'd done the operation and all these sorts of things. And in the worst state of mind, in the worst state of physical being, all I had was God is good. Mm. And it doesn't matter what I'm feeling now, Mm. or I'm just sitting there and I'm, I'm weeping and I'm just, in a mess and just looked like an absolute mess and but it didn't change what I knew of him and even though what I knew of him was so small and he revealed that to me later in some of the stuff that I was going through I had this foundation of Christ and the foundation is enough because you can stand on that and it's not shaken you know so even going through that it's not shaken you know you can be in the worst place it's you know it's life and death physically but you've got life. So who cares about the physical, you know? Um, Just around healing, just with what you have just been talking about, about waiting for God to speak, you know, like waiting for that prompting and that discernment. Does, Does that mean that we're kind of coming at healing from the wrong angle a lot of the time like you know when we are like even in church when we're kind of saying we're going to pray for healing like is that 
is that actually what we should be doing or should we be waiting for God to prompt us to say, actually, we need to pray for this person for healing and actually allowing him to always do that? I'm just curious. (laughs) Early on in my walk with my zeal for God and listening to different testimonies about healing and all the rest of it, I was one of these people that would run up to anybody with a cast, any, you know... Anybody that look at someone would just trip, and I'd think they had a lump, you know, run over and, you know, oh, what the hell, you know. And so I've been in the I've been in the place where you'll pray for everyone, and you know, God bought and paid the price for our healing, and and, and you know, and and yes, yes, He did, and ultimately, it's our glorified body, it's our eternal life He paid the price for. We will one day be all in total complete wellness and that doesn't mean there isn't wellness for now and there and he doesn't do miracles now I've prayed for people and people have been healed mm-hmm. and in my naivety and he's taught me some really cool lessons about healing like you know there's because there's scriptures about go to the elders and pray for healing so I limped in one day nobody prayed for me I limped around everywhere I'm like and this is this is really early on in my walk and I'm like why is nobody off praying for healing I'm in a church man <laughs> you know you expect some, everyone to be racing up taking turns you know and nobody was and I'm like and I'm not saying that was a good thing either but anyway I sat down and the, and I'm, I'm sitting there stewing about it a bit and I said oh that's alright I'll go see, I'll go see Greg you know I'll go and see one of the elders you know I might as well get the top dogs to pray you know <laughs> and the Holy Spirit said to me no get one of these two to pray and it was um, a couple of friends of ours and I was like hang on a minute they're a bit as new as I am in Christ what's, what's the point in that we've got the top dogs up there you know and so anyway, I was obedient, and so I was led by the Spirit, went over and allowed, it was in at Paula to pray, who used to come here. And the awesome thing was, it was the first experience she had had of praying for someone where someone was healed. Now, I wasn't instantly healed right then and then, but I went, went to bed with a, you know, an extremely badly sprained ankle for football, which I'd done on the Saturday, limped in on the Sunday. And the next day, I walked, walked out of home, didn't tell Joe what had happened, because I got out of bed, and I'm like, it's healed. I'm like, what? I'm jumping around and testing it. I was up a ladder at work, lifting this unit up, this ladder, and putting it on top. I jumped off the top of the ladder to test the ankle, and I'm like, it's healed. <laughs> okay, it's healed, cool. Text everyone, yeah, my ankle's healed, my ankle's healed. <laughs> you know, I was learning new, but, but it, it is, everything is supposed to be done in the Spirit, led by the Spirit. But the caveat on that is we're all learning to be led by the Spirit and be guided by the Spirit. So the other, uh, last week, I sold a tool, and a guy came around to pick it up, and he was like, I can't lift it because my rotator cuff's stuffed. And so I was like, oh, okay. And so I was like, Lord, are you wanting me to do something here? And so I waited and listened. Now, I didn't hear a really strong word, yeah, pray for him. But it's funny because God's got a sense of humour, and it's happened to me before. They keep going on about this thing. <laughs> you know, I said, yeah, yeah, I'll give you a lift. I'll lift it in the back of the car. And he's like, yeah, yeah, because my cuff, and blah, blah, blah. And he said, and, and they can't do anything about it. And I'm like, oh, okay, they can't do anything about it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know someone who can. <laughs> so, so they said, look, would you mind me praying for your shoulder? So I pray for his shoulder. You know, but I'm not, I'm not the guy that goes, you know, there's all these, we, we, yeah. people prescribe all these things. That you've got to get them to test it, and then you've got to pray again, you've got to do this. I just pray. I do what I feel lead to do. And then I go, God, you do what you do. Because it's not about me. I don't want to see the glory for it. If he drives down the road and it's healed, awesome. You know? And that's, that's the being free of the outcome part of it, eh? where actually, if it doesn't work out like we think it does, does that mean God didn't speak? No. 
not necessarily, mm-hmm. but there's there's absolutely learning elements in that as well. I feel like, um, you know, in regards to when we pray for healing here, like we could legitimately pray for healing every every mm-hmm. Sunday, you know, because there's always someone that needs yeah. healing, but we don't. And I, f- I feel like we really only go that way when we're led to go mm-hmm. that way. Um, and does that mean that everyone that gets prayed for is healed? No. Mm-hmm. Does that mean there's healing in the house or, or provision for healing? Yep. Mm-hmm. Do we, you know, know how to exercise that fully? No, still learning. You know, I'm still, I'm still learning what it looks like to hear the Holy Spirit and be led by Him. Yeah. I mean, I don't know whether you guys noticed this morning, but I had a tape measure with me on the table while we were talking this yeah. morning. Did anyone notice? Yeah, What's that. that about? I was like, I just was up this morning and I was like, I just felt like the Holy Spirit was like, take a tape measure. <laughs> and I was like, are you kidding? You know, I was like, what's the point in that? Mm. Well, you know, because that's what we do. We yeah, want to know what the yeah. point is. And then I'm like, oh, do I need to ask someone if I can have a tape measure on the table? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you go through these things and I'm like, what if it's not you, God? And then I'm like, these are just the, the yeah. thoughts that go through my head. And I'm like, do you know what? I actually don't care about any of that. I think, I believe that you've spoken this mm. to me and that's enough. If it turns into something, that's cool. If it doesn't, that's cool mm. too. And... Just because no one started talking about tape measures or no one needed to measure something at the table, does it mean that it wasn't the right thing? Mm. No, I, I'm I'm comfortable knowing that I was led into something and that was enough, you know. Yeah. But in saying that and answering Anine's question, we talked about being in a measure of love that enabled you to love, and when you're not in that measure, you're loving out of yourself. You Thanks, know? Greg. There you go, man. I was going to say, we need to get that table in the middle of the room, the exact spot that Kirk had marked out for us. But, you know, I think just in relation to what you're saying, Jackie, but it's, it's, it's bigger than this, is, is that this being led by him in all things, you know, and the challenges we create formulas, methods, and we bring those with us because you may have come from another church family and you go, we do this here. People have said to me, why, why do you not do an altar call every single Sunday? Yeah. One, because there's no such thing as an altar. <laughs> Didn't leave you with that one, but anyway. We've created that, I don't know what that is, but anyway. But it's because we want to be led by Him. Mm. People say, oh, there's no healings here. So yeah, I know, that, I know of healings here. Yeah. They might not happen in the building. Yeah. It's like people go, oh, we don't baptise, why? Mm. Because we don't do it in the building. Yeah. Is that the only reference? And are you baptising people? Are you laying hands on people? Yeah. So it it's all becomes about why aren't we, which means you, yeah. and we're void of us in this, you know, because it's like this weird thing that we do <clears throat> to somehow, we don't want to associate with the thing we're actually talking about, what we're supposed to be in it. Yeah. Um, and so it's sons are led by the Spirit of God, mm. Romans 8, full stop. You know, they're not led by the woes of man. They're not led because people think they should do stuff. They're not led from institutional realities, which means you need to know the Spirit mm. of God. Right. And this is the greatest challenge. So it's easier not to know the Spirit of God and just do whatever, yeah. isn't it? Because it takes time to get to know God. So I don't want to do that, but I do want to do this Christian thing. Yeah. So I do want to do these things, but I don't want to actually be led by the Spirit because that's going to take too long and I don't even know what that is. And all I'm really interested in is doing what I want to do. Because I get a kick because I'm still living. Mm. And that's why you can hear, who are you? Mm. Yeah. I know you, 
but I know you from afar. Okay, as it says in Psalms, actually, I do know you, but I know you don't know me. And all you were interested was you doing you, using me to do what you wanted to do, which is called your will. And that's why those who don't do the will of God will not enter the kingdom of heaven, not heaven, but the kingdom reality now and in the future. And God will let you do all that. He will let you do signs and wonders in his name. He will let you because he's looking to see who loves him. So he sets it up. It's set up very intentionally to test us to whether we truly love him or not. That's the test. The whole thing is a test to find out who loves him. That's the entire purpose of the entire pattern. And those that do with a sincere heart will do it his way. And you'll discover that being led by the Spirit. And you'll be persecuted by the church for that. And you'll be persecuted by the world for that. Because you're not living to either standard. It's a test, mate. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but then he tests you. He tests you to see whether you're going to love him back. That's that's here, Mm. you know. He's winning us, and then he goes, right, now I'm going to test to see whether you love me. I'm going to put you in cookie-cutter situations. I'm going to put you in heat. I'm going to put you, I'm going to allow all this to happen to see how you're going to respond. Oh, look, yeah, for the purpose of building you up, you know. Um, And this is our challenge because this is why we need this true testimony. You know, it's not Paul's testimony. It's not Chris's or Nick's testimony. Nick has his own testimony through what he's gone through with his sickness. Mm. I can't get that. I can sympathise with him, encourage him, pray for him, but he's gone somewhere in God that I haven't gone through that. I've got my own. I've gone somewhere in God. I know Chris has, and we all need our own personal testimony, not... Oh, that guy saved me from a cross. I mean the cross coming, doing a deep work and an ongoing testimony of Jesus Christ. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Everything he's done, he wants to do in you. That's why you can't claim this. It's in Christ, but he wants to finish it in you. It's finished in Christ, but is it finished in you? It's perfected in Christ, and he wants to perfect it in you. So you can't claim anything that's not perfected in you. But we do. And then we speak, but it's empty words. Mm. See? And you get this disconnect from what we say and how we live. Mm. And that's no different to these guys. And it's the difference between knowing what's true and knowing the truth. Mm. You go, is there a difference? You better believe there's a difference Mm. between knowing what's true and knowing the truth. Because it's spirit and truth. And the spirit is the truth. And the truth is the spirit. And the truth is a person. But you can know what's true and not know truth it's not the truth that sets you free it's the truth it's the person see the Pharisees knew what was true but they didn't know the truth that's what he's saying to Moses like in their head they're going we're of Moses but what does 2 Corinthians three sixteen say anyone know or 15 right so 
veiled face. We were the unveiled face uh, being transformed as from glory to glory. So if Moses with veiled face, we should, we're living in the, the greater glory. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I'll, I'll read it because you yeah. get the gist. <laughs> Chris paraphrase. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. Mm. So they're going there of Moses, but there was a veil over their heart. Mm. See, this, this is how warped this is. Mm. Okay? And this is what Sam wanted us to look at in John 5 about the Scriptures. Mm. They believe wholeheartedly mm. they're of Moses. Yeah. But the veil was laying over their heart. Yeah. So who was going to remove the veil? You reject the Christ, yep. the veil stays over your heart, but you think you're of Moses. <laughs> See how this isn't intellectual? Mm. That's not logical, is it? No, because it's got nothing to do with logic, it's about revelation. They are bound up in sin and iniquity. They're bound up in their humanity. And yet in that, they think they're of Moses. But the scripture mm. says, unless you receive Christ, the veil lays over you. How can you know Moses? Because yeah. me and Moses are one. We're of the same kind. Yeah. He wrote about me. He spoke about me. If you knew, you'd know. So you don't know. Mm. <gasps> How do you? <laughs> now that's today. Yeah. You'll know by your ability to live. Yeah. Yeah. Yet we go, oh, I know all this stuff. It's true, but is it mm. the truth? Yeah. Because you can have flesh and true, not spirit and truth. But you can think it's spirit and truth, and it's not. And so you search the Scriptures, looking for eternal life in the Scriptures, but the Scriptures testify and point you to eternal life. And when he turns up through another person, and they start to speak the word, which is powerful, you reject it. It's like you're going to stand before God and you think you're going to have a Bible trivia night. <laughs> you know? How well do you know the Scriptures? The Pharisees were literally thinking they could hand the Torah to God and go, look at this. We know this. I've, got, I've put it in here. Because they literally, you know, line by line, yeah. jot by tittle, learn it. Yeah. You know? And it all mentally goes in there. So the ones that have all this head knowledge, all this... The input, and it, that was great for a, for a time because they needed to keep the oracles of God and they were a stubborn, hardy to people that could do that. But then you come to God and you say, let me tell you what the scriptures say. You know, and it is, it's like us coming to him and saying, look, if I do really well in this Bible trivia quiz, look, I got 99 out of 100 on that tri quiz. You should be really happy with that. That should be the works that, it, you know, you've prepared before me. Awesome. He's like, no, Eva, you don't know me, you know? I, got a, um, I had something happen yesterday which I thought was kind of interesting and profound in, in regards to this where um, I was um, teaching my five-year-old how to read. And so we, we got the paper out and I wrote a word down. It was fly, F-L-Y. And I, I was like, okay, I'm going to make this really easy. I didn't, didn't tell her this, but, you know, we're sounding out the F, sounding out the L, sounding out the Y, and we just probably spent 20 minutes on it and she just wasn't, wasn't quite getting it. You know, I, I kind of look at it like there's a, the neural pathway that needs to be opened that is she's getting the concept of letters getting put together. And I'm waiting for this penny to drop, you know, and I can see 
I'm watching her and I can read if she's going to get it or not. And she, you know, she wasn't getting it. So I was like, okay, cool, fly. And so she got the F in the L, but she couldn't get the Y. And so I went, okay, let's move on. Cry. And I said, and so I wrote this and I said, this, this word sounds the same as the first word because she knows what the letters are. She knows what the sounds they are, what they make. And I'm like, why? And so she goes, oh, that's, you know, that's the same. Well, she couldn't get cry. Okay, look, I'm going to make it a little bit easier. We're going to do M. Why, my, you know that's, and I'm I'm trying to get this, and it's just not. She just wasn't quite getting it. So I could tell her what it was, but she couldn't get it, because this capacity to read hasn't been opened up for her yet, and and what she's doing is she was trying to anticipate what I was going to say. So even though I went, m, I. She hasn't got to the point yet where she can put them together. So I would go, it was quite comical actually. I would go, m, and she goes, mouse. <laughs> and I'm like, no. What's this, what's this letter on the end? She's like, why? I'm like, how does it sound in this word? I. Okay, m, mummy. I'm like, I, you know, and so we just, we kept doing this, right? And, and it was, and the interesting thing, the thing that I noticed was that she wasn't looking at what was written down. She was looking up there to try and get the word because she's fishing for words in her head that she's heard, but she's not engaging the reading process. And this is 180 degrees from what the Pharisees were doing because they were like this and had no capacity for this. And in and, and, and my five-year-old's mind, she's hoping to, to convince me that she knows how to read because there was chocolate on the line. <laughs> and, and, you know, and so there, there was, like some of the words that came out were just comical. Like there is, I mean, this is how funny and how, how the parallel was. I wrote the words. I know how to read. I wrote the words and she's hoping that she can convince me that she's reading it and she's absolutely not reading it. And this is what's happening here with yeah, the yeah. Pharisees. They're standing in front of the Word himself mm. who wrote the words, yeah. trying to convince him that they can read. Yeah. And all they can do is read, but they can't see. And he's not even fooled a little bit. He absolutely knows, and he's trying to lead them through it. Mm. And they just want a chocolate. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the disciples were exactly the same, eh? And then Jesus, and you can see why he said, "How much longer do I have to bear with you?" You know, twenty minutes trying to teach, you know, your daughter to read, and he's walking with the disciples, and they have no capacity for what he's sharing, but he has to share it because at some stage they will have the capacity, no capacity, and then it'll come to life. So the moral of the story: if he had Whitakers on him, he wouldn't have been crucified. <laughs> 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 that's, that's exactly it. Yeah. But, and this is a question Sam wanted us to ask, is that what's going on here? Like, why is it that the Israelite nation were chosen, just like the Gentiles are, but they were chosen to know their Messiah? Mm. Yeah? And the Messiah came for the lost tribes of Israel as his primary, Gentiles second, even though it's one people. Why is it that when the Messiah turns up, you've had thousands of years of the scriptures that you've studied and you are scholars apparently of. Yeah. So when the word turns up, 
why is it that you cannot fundamentally see him even though you profess to be of the words that are written about him? What do you guys what do you guys think? Well, they didn't want to miss their Messiah. So they're not intentionally trying to miss Christ. They're waiting and they still are. So they're not intentionally not trying to miss. They want this Messiah that's coming. But why is it? Why is it the fact that if you are a scholar of these words, when the one of the words turns up, you do the complete opposite to what it says? So you're going on your own interpretation of what's been written, which would be what? What would that say about them? Which means they didn't have what they professed to have. Fair enough? Because the law was spiritual. The law was holy because God wrote it and they were void of the spirit. So the argument around they were experts in their own Torah is false. Yeah. Because they would have known their Messiah. Mm. They knew what was true, but didn't know the truth. Mm. And this is this thing. So they had their Talmud. They had their own version as well. They'd created their own little book of rules and regulations and traditions. And they also had these living scrolls that were supposed to illuminate the Christ. But they actually had nothing, but thought they did. Which is no different, and I don't want to say, but we can be the same, yeah? We can grow up in all these forms of godliness thinking we have something and have zero, just like them. And that's why it becomes so challenging if this is your reality. You know, to someone who's come out of the world, they don't really give a rip because they've got no reference for anything. You know, I can have conversations with my mate Tim and he doesn't get anywhere near. In fact, he just accepts it. And I think Mel said it one night. She said the hardest people to actually communicate the truth to are actually followers of Christ because their premeditated mindsets and their own learning gets in the way of the reality, just like here. And it's fascinating. You know, he says you search the words, the scriptures, because you think... They're right there. You think that in them you're going to have eternal life. It is these, the scriptures, that testify about me, who is eternal life. And you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. Mm. Which is the whole invitation of Jesus, yeah. isn't it? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Come. So the invitation is come, but you're unwilling, which is an active choice of your will, because you're convinced that you know more. Because that's what that is, isn't it? You've actually got a position which you believe is greater than God's. But you're unaware. But they would have thought, Warren, that they were. So like Saul is thinking 100% he is doing the will of the Father when he is going around persecuting and killing yeah. Christians. Because yeah. Christians are the enemy. Yeah. You guys know nothing. We are the chosen people. We are the people of God. The scriptures are wrote for us. Yeah. And God has come for, he, we're waiting for our Messiah. Mm. And that's why when 
um, Jesus addresses him. He addresses him with, you know, he says, he says I am. Mm. What's he saying to Saul? Who's I am? God. So he addresses Saul in a language that Saul would recognize. Mm. I am. Yeah. Oh, what's going on here, man? I'm in trouble. <laughs> no, you're about to come into love. Mm. You know, but I, I, this is fascinating, this whole dimension, because once again, um, you know, we're running on time, but operating systems. Mm. Maybe we just touch on that for five minutes. You guys, like just the operating system that was operating here mm. as opposed to the true operating system of Christ. Yeah, it just came to mind when you are speaking about it and it shows there were operating systems in play, but some had an operating system that allowed questions to be asked. Yeah. Like Nicodemus went to Jesus yeah. and spoke to the one of life and even though he couldn't understand something of life, when it was spoken to him, because he didn't have a reference point at the time for him, you know, I believe he'll he's come into life now, you know, and he'll be in life. So there were some Pharisees, Sadducees, you, you know, that were able to break free from this religious, studying, learned, prideful position of power yeah. mindset that had their Messiah was going to come their way. Because there'd be many people who claimed to be the Messiah. Yeah. But God didn't testify to them being true. Yeah. So they weren't the Messiah. Yeah. Which is hope, isn't it, for us? Is like, yeah. is that it's the soft heart. And like, I love what you're saying there. So that there were, you know, Nicodemus, is, he helps um, Joseph of Arimathea mm. with the body. Yeah. You know, so, and you see that in that, um, the, the Chosen series. Mm. You see him torn between wanting to please his wife, yeah. everything he's been raised with, and all those people that look up to him, yeah. and the Christ. Yeah. And the man is torn, yeah. you know, and he leaves the money, doesn't he, yeah. for them, you know? And I love it, you just sit, look on Jesus' face, you know, and, and, and this is this reality. It's like there's a tearing from earth that's required. There's a, there's a literally a ripping because we're anchored into the earth. Yeah. And we have to be wrenched out of earth and then literally planted into the eternal. Um, and so you see, like you're saying, that these these challenges and these trials, because even you know the disciples are no different. Mm. You know, they don't manifest the behaviour of Saul, but actually, you know, the John and James tried; they were going to torch some guys. Mm. You know, so you just see this reality that no one knew who he really was outside of John the Baptist and those that had the spirit within them, which is the few. Mm. And it says, you know, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness didn't comprehend. Mm. Yeah. And so this is us too, mm. you know. I'm yeah. in darkness, yeah. don't comprehend, can see some things happening in my life, but still don't comprehend the reality within me. And so that willingness and this invitation that every one of us has to go on this journey this process of getting a true testimony of work done within mm. that then the father almost signs off on you know it's like that's me mm. that is me mm. you know and I love that and God spoke to me that years ago and, I, and out of this whole thing you know where I repented and realized that reaching the loss wasn't God's number one priority yeah, 
you know, out of all that 18 months, these are one of the things he said to me. He says, never speak unless I've revealed it because it protects the people, it protects you, and it protects me. Not that God needs to be protected, but it actually does, does God a discredit if I'm speaking not him. Not scriptures, him. And that's that transaction, isn't it, between speaking the scriptures through human intelligence and speaking him through revelation. You can be absolutely anointed and still mess your entire life up. So you can be anointed and run well, and you can be anointed and be a life of devastation. So the challenge is the anointing is given for free, and that has no, you don't, doesn't mean you know God. It doesn't mean you're humble. So that's a blessing, isn't it? God's divine grace or anointing on someone to achieve a specific task within his body. But that's not the evidence of maturity. That's not the evidence you know God. You need to come into the knowledge of God through the revelation of God. And that's when you get those two together, you're a dynamic. I say your character better be bigger than your calling. Otherwise, your calling will crush you. Any other questions? We've got six minutes. There's a lot that's been released. Yeah, cool. Hopefully we're doing Sam well. <laughs> so you asked before if, you know, you had news that your mum had died and stuff uh, or was ill. So this is something that has been a reality, a, an actual reality for me the last six months. Mum's been in and out of hospital. And there's been that tension of going to the father and saying, where do you want me? And then going where he wants me, like if it's the hospital, if it's staying at home with the kids or wherever that is, versus the family wanting me somewhere, right? So I've got a sister in Sydney who's like, go to the hospital for me. And I'm like, yeah, that's not actually where God's asking me to be. And that tension of that then causing an offence and then that then... So my question is, how, how do you then walk in it? Because, like, I know who I am in him, and I know when he says go, I go, and when, I, when he says stay, I stay. And I'm still learning that. Don't get me wrong. Please hear me on that. Um, but then it's causing the offence that's turning them away from him, if that makes sense. So then how do you walk that tension and go, okay, I don't need to be my mum's side because God's asked me to be here or do this. So if I got a text right now saying mum's in hospital, she's on her last legs, my first question is, God, where do you want me? Because is being here where you want me? Because then there's life here. But if you want me at the hospital, that's where you want me. But if I'm not at the hospital, I know what that causes. And so how do you then... Because I know where he wants me, right? Like, that, that's not the question. The question is, how do you avoid causing the offence in them? Like, I, I'm, how do you not suffer persecution for this You sake? can't. <laughs> Welcome to being a disciple of right, Jesus okay. Christ. So good, so good, though, Nagy, that you care. Because that, for me, is just such a massive part of it. Because we are to be mindful to not intentionally give offence, right? 
and it, it really matters that we, in my opinion, that we take precautions not to unnecessarily give offence, but ultimately you're not responsible for someone else's offence. You can't control what it is that they're going to do, and you can't live up to everyone's expectation. And just just following him and going where it is that he leads you is everything that you are, dare I say, obliged to do. We're we're indebted to love, but you can't you can't choose. You can you can say all the right things and do all the right things, and your family can still be offended in you. And, <laughs> and this is where all you're worried about is the testimony of you and God. So you stand before him and he says, "Well done." because you were prepared to be persecuted mm. for me. Yeah. And this is what it says in Matthew 5. You know, the last beatitude is, Blessed are you when people insult and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Mm. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, and in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Yeah. So this is part of the sufferings of Christ and you cannot be a follower of Christ and not suffer for Christ because as a genuine follower of Christ, you will live a life that people won't like and they can be as close to you as your bloodline or not. It's irrelevant who they are and you cannot be a bondservant of Christ if you are striving to please man or looking for the favour of man. And so we're called to be bond servants. And this is why you have to be free of all things. Because if you're not free of man, and if you've entrusted your heart to man, then you will never be able to, you don't intentionally try to displease man, but you'll never be able to. Because you're actually giving too much authority to man and you care about what they think. And you have to be free of all that. But like Chris is saying, you're not trying to offend, but you're not living to their standard. And it can even be worse when they're actually Christians, never mind non-Christians, because they have a greater expectation. So what you have to try and do is just explain to them the reality that you're living for, knowing that they probably won't understand it. But let me show you why I made this decision and hope that maybe they go, I can respect that. But welcome to the club. So on that, here's, a, here's an example of that. So as elders, we'll often have conversations with Greg about communicating the gospel. And Greg listens, you know, we, we have conversations where it's like, how can we say this? How can Greg say this in a way that doesn't cause unnecessary offence? Knowing that actually some people are just going to be offended yeah. because at the end of the day, what Christ is trying to do is crucify you. Mm. And, and so it's, how do, you, how do you nicely tell someone that they're wrong, that their life is headed in the wrong direction, that everything they think is built on sand. At the end of the day, no one likes to be told that they're wrong. Someone's going to take offence. You can say the nicest thing, no matter how I try to take the iPad off my child, they don't want to let go of the iPad. Realistically, it's a good day when they're like, okay, and they can hand it over, but realistically, they don't want to let go of what they want. And, And what you're coming up against is what they want. So it's it's the same old issue in another form. Well, I would say it's like having knowledge and understanding. Like, um, you, you live it by having knowledge and understanding about things and hearing from God and knowing that that's what you have about you hearing from God and having knowledge and understanding and wisdom and all things. And all things. Yeah. So you, you don't need 
Jesus offended people all the time. You just don't necessarily read into it. So you know when he went to Peter and said, you have no a little faith. <laughs> it doesn't say Peter got very angry with Jesus when he said that. But put yourself in that situation. So imagine if I come up to you and said, you know what? I know and I can see that you have no or little faith. And I come from love to help you, to tell you the truth. That's not what we're... Right, well, you, so, so you could sit there and go, that's not love. Mm. Well, no, it might help because wouldn't it help to know where you're really at? Like, he's trying to help Peter, isn't he? Mm. He's not trying to hurt Peter, he's for Peter. So it's about how you hear it and whether you're truly interested in wanting to grow or whether you're going to get offended because you think you're somewhere else. And who do you think you are coming to tell me that I have little to no faith? Well, do you want help or not? Mm. And so it comes back to do you really believe we are for one another? Because I'm not coming to hurt you, I'm coming to help you. But if you don't believe that, then you think you actually believe I'm coming to hurt you, and I'll know that too. Mm. (laughs) But the offence is the evidence. The offence is the evidence that what he's saying is true. Yeah. It doesn't work that. Yeah. Oh, look, that's that. Exactly. So that's that's the whole thing, isn't it? So, yeah. So, so you've you've got to put yourself into the reality. But if you absolutely believe we're for each other, then that defines how it's being said. Not even how it's said. How you're going to hear it? How how about that? How about even if you don't believe that Greg's for you, how are we built? on Christ for ourselves. Mm. You know what I mean? Yes. Because when we see yes. through love, we don't hear things the wrong way. Yeah. And what I mean is that even if, and we said this in prayer the other morning, that if even if Greg comes up to me and goes, you're a loser, I hate you, and yeah. you're never going to go to heaven, intentionally trying to offend me. Because <laughs> you got your tape measure. Well, <laughs> look, Greg, this tape measure says differently. But you know what I, you know what I mean? Like, actually, what am I built on? Because what I'm being called into is to have a world tell me that and be okay. To ultimately be crucified and everyone that I had ever walked with and sown into flee and leave me to the wolves and actually be okay, Father, forgive them. You know, that's the the high call. And and so regardless of whether even Greg's coming with a with something in love or not is kind of irrelevant. Mm. You know, that's something for yeah. between me and my father. Is that yeah. for me or not? But if it if it hits me there, mm. that's an indication yeah. of something right there. We did this just about three weeks ago. And so at, at the Thai place, oh, eh? Yeah. You know? And so something had been said about two or three months ago. And I hadn't had time to talk to Chris about it. And it, it had a, there's a sensitivity to it because I'm like, okay, this was said, I wasn't there, let's talk. And so we lived this. You've got to do this because it's, it's greater than even here because if what was said, it wasn't here, was said, but then influences others. So we need to be careful what we say. So we've got to address these things. So I have to come to Chris and say, look, this is something that I heard. This was the outcome of this. I want to put it before you. I don't fully know because I wasn't there, but this is what I heard. And then the way Chris responded was beautifully. He's not like, oh, who said it? 
You know, oh no, that's not what he's not. His first instant wasn't to <laughs> wasn't to defend his position, throw the tie all over me, and storm off. He went, oh, oh, okay. And we were able to unpack, and he was able to think and go back and just ponder. And it was beautiful. Like there was no angst, there's no. Uh, we left walking out there with our lovely feet, didn't we? Laughing about it and going, but you have to be able to go there because yeah. he knows, and I know he's for me, and he knows I'm for him. So you can have any conversation to help one another when you know that, and that is you know that, not just, yeah, I know it, and then it manifests. And so we're so defensive to protect something that actually probably needs yeah. to come down. That's right. You know? Because we don't know what's on the other side and we know what we want to protect, you know? And so, it's massive. Amen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And the, the reaction or the response of the spirit is, in, well, what is this that you're bringing? The reaction is the flesh is, show me another way. You know, if there was another way, I would have taken it. And, and, I, and I love that you, know, you brought up with Lazarus and that, because he's, he's modeling, he's teaching the disciples so that we can learn, because they couldn't, not until the Holy Spirit was going to be poured out. Because imagine he's messing with their heads. Because he's saying to her, this is not going to end up in death. And he says, Lazarus is asleep. Well, if he's asleep, he'll wake up. Okay, Lazarus is dead. Well, hang on, I thought you said he wasn't going to end in death. It's not. What? You just told me he's dead. Yeah, because Jesus got sight of something. And I, and I was seeing that while you were um, speaking, Nagy, that he's got sight already ahead of what's actually taken place. So he can walk it out above all of the stuff. And that's... Well, what I know he's, well, I know he's growing me in, and he's growing us all in, in this capacity to walk in true faith because it's sight. It's not just wishful thinking or hope. It's actually, I, I know what is taking place. God has shown me, and I can walk in this steadfast place. So when someone comes and brings a word, there's already this place of oneness that's going, actually, I know you're for me, so what is this word you're bringing to me? Mm, it's a bit sharp, but I guess circumcision hopefully is done by a sharp tool. You know, and and I know that it, you know this, this the same the same um, sword that is going to 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 pierce is going to split and divide. It's meant to, so that actually we can produce life and to actually be able to receive that word, knowing that sharp sword actually is for my good. And it goes both ways because we're walking in in this oneness. You know, and and that's I did see that yellow tape because I got one. I was going. How, did you pick up my tape? <laughs> of course I did. <laughs> but, but I was I thinking, I, I saw it there all, all morning, I think, I wanted to actually grab it and, and pull it out and go, you know, how often we fail by measuring ourselves against each other and not against the true measure, which is pure and set in place and it's sure to be measured with every time because I can go back to it remains constant and my measure is against Christ, not others. Because he's doing a work within me to bring me into the fullness of, of him. And I, um, just on that, Danny, like I often find, and, and naturally I, I find this horrible, but in the spirit it's, it's life, of mm. course, that quite often a word of correction will come for me through the most horrible 
person or the least the person that I would choose last. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I shared an example this uh, uh, ages ago. <laughs> yeah, it's so great. Oh yeah. yeah, can't use that example or that example. <laughs> No, I was in a, um, I, I shared this already, but it was a while ago. I was in a, when I shared it, it had happened that week. So no one minds sharing a testimony when it's five years ago, because yeah. I'm not that guy anymore. But this one was in the week that I was on the panel, you know, and I was in a um, place where I was hiring a truck. I was helping Sarah move, and I sat down at the table to, so, to sign the contract with the guy behind the counter, and he was a, you know, dare I stereotype and say that he was a guy that was, you know, not, what's the right word, he was a bit rough and, you know, kind of like me, I suppose. Um, but I, anyway, I was talking with this guy and he had no people skills, that's what I'm trying to say, and he, we, I'm sitting there and we're going over the contract, kind of, and, you know, he's taking a bit of time and so I sit there and I'm playing on my phone and I'm doing something useless while he's talking to me about this and he goes... He goes, hey, you should give me your attention. We're doing a contract. And I was like, oh, it's not a big deal, you know, because I'm pretty chill most of the time. I was like, it's not a big deal. And he goes, actually, it is a big deal. We're doing a contract. And when he said it, I was like, he's right. And I was like, oh, my goodness. What am I going to do? And I, I, I was like, actually, sorry, you're right. And I put my phone away and I learned a lesson and I had to eat some humble pie because I'd, put, I'd stepped out of a position that I was supposed to be in and he's not my teacher, the Holy Spirit is my teacher and he chooses to use a person that actually is not just teaching me about having respect in a contract but is actually keeping me humble as well because the same Peter, like I said this morning, that turned up and went, this is the gospel and people received the gospel needed to be kept humble because God gives grace to the humble but resists the proud. And his, his heart isn't that I would be humble once and then be used to save the world and never have to be humble again. He wants to keep me in a position where I am always listening and always dependent and never proud and resisting what it is that he brings me. And that's the goodness of God to do that you know and that's that's happening and, and you know that's just one example of it but it can happen all the time if we're listening for it because do you know what I still need to be taught mm. there's some yeah. things in my life that I need straightening out some questions that I need answers to and I'm like only God can teach me what it is that I need mm. to know and I actually don't know how he's going to do it but I better be listening because when he turns up like he said to the Pharisees I know you that you don't do not have the love of God in you. And that's really what this comes down to because yeah. love is patient, yeah. love is kind. Yeah. Love assumes the best, assumes that when Greg turns up and says this thing, well, maybe he's meaning the wrong thing, but I'm going to assume that he mm. means the right that's thing because love's going to do that. And actually that protects me. Mm. The number of times where I just haven't been sure and it's uh, some guy that might be sizing me up and he's said this thing that's a bit lippy and I'm like, ugh, this is really hitting me where it hurts because now my confidence in myself is being challenged. Actually, I'm going to assume the best. I don't think that you meant that and I can laugh it off. Yeah. <clears throat> and actually, it does everyone a favour. Mm. Yeah. And that's what he's calling us to all the time, eh? to assume the best.
And I think Nicodemus models something beautiful, eh? Because what do you do when you're offended? Because he was the very people that Christ was speaking to that were all taking offence from what he's saying, you know, calling them blind, you know, blind people leading the blind, you know, all these things. He goes to the Christ. You know, and so many times I've been offended because I've been wrong so many times. You know, and I give everyone the opportunity to, you know, come up. You know, you have authority to come up and speak to me if I'm in error because you want to be in the truth. You want to be in the life. You don't want to be wrong. I've, you know, and, and it's funny because every time offence comes, it does hurt, but it doesn't hurt as much because you get used to it. You know, I don't know, it might just be me, but I'm, you know, well I've been corrected many, many times. And, and the, you know, thing, the thing is, it's not that you want to be right or wrong, you want to be in life. Yeah, yeah exactly. You? So you exactly. want to be in life. And that's the greater desire, isn't it? To be in life and in the truth than to be right. Yeah. And when you weigh that up, you go, actually, it's going to cost me a bit of pride, but that needs to go anyway. Yeah. That'll come back. <laughs> yeah. And, y- and yesterday I was having a conversation with Joe, and we were sitting there in the morning. And we have a conversation, and it, was, and it was about things of the Lord, it was about sonship, and it was about these different things. And I'd said some things, and they sort of came out. You know, you, you, I'm a talker, so things will just come out, and they don't always make sense to begin with, and then you sort of work your way through it, and then by the end, hopefully, some sense has come. But um, not that it's about making sense, but hopefully it's in line with the Spirit, that's what I'm trying to say. But anyway, I'd said something, and it was wrong. And so Joe was like, no, hang on a minute, blah, blah, blah. And she said something which had life on it, and it's true. And so offence taken out of that. So she wasn't really correcting me. She just carried on with the conversation and said something which had life on it was true. And that revealed that what I was saying was actually wrong. And so you're like, oh. And so what do you do? You know? And I was good in that moment, you know? And, and it's, I'm not always good in that moment, but I was like, no, hang on a minute. I stopped, stopped there and I said, no, no, you're right. I was wrong about this. You know? And, and she didn't go, yeah, chalk it up, you know? It's like, it's just cool. You know, that's what we want to be with all of ourselves. Because truth will expose what is not true. Life will expose death, non-life. And you will be offended. The spirit will expose the flesh. So let's be exposed so we can be brought into the life. Amen. Amen. Let's have an awesome week. Thanks, guys.